child walked into the sanctuary of Highland Baptist Church for the first time and looked at the stained glass windows and said, wow, who are the people in the windows? The parents said, well, those are the saints. So the next week when the child was in Sunday school and the teacher asked, does anyone know what a saint is? The child's hand went up in the air. She said, yes, I know what a saint is. Saints are the people who let the light shine through them. They let the light shine through them. Sometimes children, we say more than we know consciously to let heavenly, sacred light shine through your life. That's a saint. It's not an office you run for. It's not something you can aspire to too intently or it kind of makes you disqualified from being a saint. But rather it is the recognition that ordinary people just like you and me, ordinary people, in our own way and time, have those moments and they come as gift to us. We have those moments when our lives can let divine light show through them. And bring healing into the world. Do you believe this? You. Your life. We've seen and experienced this together over the years at Highland. People who live and act and speak and choose. Make choices. So that love. And kindness. And healing. And abundance and harmony. Come out into the world. We see this happening. Week in and week out. Among the people of God. At Highland. And so last week we talked on Reformation Sunday about the basic form that we want to reform to. Our form is love. Sacred love. It is, it is God. We've been formed in that. We, we were made by love, by God. First John 4, 8 says God is love. We were made by love, with love, for love. The poet said we... We're put on this base, a little place, that we might bear the beams of love, that we might let love shine through us. That's what Paul asked. He encouraged the church of Thessalonica saying, lead lives worthy of God. We never do it perfectly. We bend the light, we color the light, but the light remains sacred because the light's not us. The light is God. We've seen this in our own church members. And I take the three whose names we read earlier in this service as but three examples. Bill Dinwiddie came to this church about ten years ago, partly because he moved right across the street and we, he could just fall out of bed and show up for church. <laughs> but he came here because we were his people. He knew that we were serious about the gospel, that we wanted to love and help people, and that was Bill's life's mission. A therapist, a counselor, a guide, an advisor. Even in retirement, he sought ways to find those people that no one else wanted to care about, and he brought them in. He took them in. He fed people. He loved people. He, he made people feel better about themselves. And many a Friday, he would slip into the church office when everyone else was, was gone on a 
Friday afternoon and the sermon wasn't coming and he would show up at just the right time when I'm feeling sorry for myself, hungry, missed lunch, and he'd show up with chicken salad. Not just chicken salad, but like big pieces of walnut and grapes and a whole sleeve of of rich crackers, fresh rich crackers. It's like heaven. He lived his life for others. Few of you will remember the name Boyd Houck. He was around for a couple of years. He came here by way of Friday Church and the Wayside Mission. Boyd had several complications in life. He was obsessive compulsive. He'd volunteer to work around here. and He'd rake leaves on a day like today. He would rake every single leaf off of the, off the lawn, every single leaf, even though he knew full well the next day it would be covered with leaves again. That's just who he was. He slept for six months underneath the church's air conditioning in the back. He didn't have a place to live. He didn't have a family. We were his family, and he loved relentlessly. Linda Barber, the third person, she makes Terry look like a towering giraffe. She's about four foot nothing and would wheel herself in here on Friday nights with, uh, with her oxygen tank. She could barely sing, couldn't talk much. But when it came time for the passing of the peace, if you've ever been to Friday church, the passing of the peace is like wild, wonderful chaos. She was right down this middle aisle, hugging every person she possibly could. All three of these people combined, when it came to money, all three of them combined probably didn't have or contribute enough money to keep the lights on in this place for one night. And in any other church, that might evoke a little bit of shame or guilt or embarrassment. But here we understand that people give what they can give, which means that those of us who have more have to give more. We don't all just give the same amount. Some people can't give, so we all give what God allows us and invites us and calls us to give. But the good news is, Bill Dinwiddie, And Boyd Houck and Linda Barber and many others have something that church and faith need, need desperately. Can't be church without. That no amount of money can buy. You see, you can have a building, you can have a budget, you can have a staff, but you cannot pay people to live lives worthy of God. To embody the gospel to go out into the world and be healing agents of God, to let the light shine through. It makes me wonder, how would you calculate how much money a life worthy of God, to use Paul's language, how much is that worth in dollar terms? What calculus, what, what metric would you use to put a dollar amount on a life worthy of God. It would not be the calculator of the Pharisees and the religious leaders who look at success in terms of the superficial, what you wear, what you eat, how bona fide you look, where you sit, how popular you are, how you can make yourself look better by making other people feel worse. Sometimes religion falls into that shadow that oppresses people and shames people 
and makes it impossible for them to even think that God could possibly love them. It's like a person who's poor and thinks, there's no way I can get out of this debt. There's no way I can ever be back to zero, back to flatline again. This religion is not light. It's shadow. It's like the Dementors. It sucks the life. It sucks the life out of things. As someone put it so eloquently, eloquently, darker than a black steer's took us on a moonless prairie night. That darkness that becomes religion gone amok, gone, gone bad. Micah spoke to it. You've completely taken this message of my liberating love and you've, you've twisted it so badly. And along comes Jesus who shows us that God works on a different calculus, measures with a different metric, that the life that's worthy of God is one that shines with the light of love and restoration and forgiveness and reconnection and harmony where all the disparate parts of the world are brought back into their place. There's a place for everything and everyone. And that includes you. It includes the person you don't like. It includes all of us. This light comes in. It, it takes over us. And all we do is serve as conduits of it. And i got to tell you, it's the best thing you can ever do in all of life. It was about 15 years ago, as I recall, that Highland was part of a, a program that we had started called No Murders Metro. Do some of you all remember? Who attended a No Murders Metro gathering? A number of you did. It was, it's all the white-haired people in the room because it was a long time ago. But it was back when um, we went to the site of a murder in the city of Louisville a week to the day after it happened. Every murder, 60, 70, 80 a year, we would show up, rain or shine, rain, snow, sleet, hail. We were there. Sometimes there were 10 or 15 of us. There might be 100 of us sometimes. Sometimes the family of the victim would show up, and it would be very emotional. And uh, I'd show up, and from the very first day, I just, as a marker, as a way to kind of gather us, I came into the sanctuary, and I grabbed our processional cross, and I took it with us, and I held it, and people came there, and, and, and we, would, we would start the service. Being a white guy, I'd bring a litany that we'd all read, and then Dennis Lyons, the black uh, pastor, would pull out his keyboard and get that thing rocking, and we'd be swinging and clapping and, and, and singing, and it'd be beautiful, and we would pray then. We'd pray for uh, the victim and the victim's family. We'd pay, pray for the neighborhood where this murder happened. We'd pray, for, we'd pray for the police. We'd pray for the perpetrator. We'd pray for God's peace to, to come in, in that moment. This is about 15 years ago, and this particular murder was a 25-year-old man named Anthony. He was in the Portland area just outside of a, a, a liquor store. He'd been shot and killed in the street. And we'd held our vigil. We'd gathered around the cross, and, and uh, uh, we'd completed the, the service. And 
were wrapping up. We were visiting with each other. This is the way I got to know a lot of the uh, African-American pastors and leaders. Frank Smith and Clay Calloway. It all began with No Murders Metro. And it was happening every week, sometimes twice a week. So my friend and our church member, Chip Miller, made me a really nice cross. looked exactly like this, only it was kind of slick because it was like a pool cue. You could, you could split it in half, and you, know, you didn't have to worry about that long pole. So when the, when the gathering was over, I had taken the pole apart and was putting it in my car, and I looked out in the street, just happened to glance up, and there was the father of Anthony still in the street. In fact, he was kneeling on the asphalt, on the street. So I walked out to him. I came up on his left, and I knelt beside him, and he never looked up. He's just looking down, and after a moment, he said, his head was right here. His body went out that direction, and his hands, his arms went out like that. And I realized I had the processional cross in my left hand. And something moved my hand. And that cross, I placed it right exactly where Anthony had laid. I don't know what it meant. I, I, it just happened. And we knelt there at that scene. I, I, this is before I lost a child. I, I, I had no idea. But I knew this father was struggling mightily. And after several minutes, the cars were buzzing by and splashing us with the water and I thought, I'm probably going to get hit by a car here in a second. But he reached down, he picked up the cross, and he looked at me for the very first time, and he said three words, I love you. And he handed me the cross back, and he got up, and I've never seen him again. But I would have to say for me, that was a time when I felt most alive and most like light had shined through me that was not my light. It's God. It's God. And that same God will shine through your life. It doesn't have to be in the middle of a street in West Louisville. It can be anywhere, anytime. Love is needed. Light is needed. As we sang, thou in the darkness drear, there one true light. Alleluia. We come to this table this morning. Not because we've arrived and we're here to get our graduation certificates. We're here this morning because we come humbly and gratefully and willingly to say, I'll be one. I'll join the way of Jesus whose body was broken for us, whose lifeblood was shed for us. So come and receive his love and then let his love shine through you. Let's prepare now to come to the table of the Lord. Let's stand together and let's say these words to one another. Friend and stranger, may the peace of Christ be with you and also with you.